So I thought it might be a good time to announce the founding of my new venture, HolisticPianoAcademy.com. Um, I realize it's raining coaches out there, but I'd like to thank my 22 plus years of experience as a professional musician and interdisciplinary artist slash educator. A more recently certified fitness coach and therapist is a combined skill set I could use to help people and contribute to the ecosystem in a manner that feels authentic and fulfilling. I'll be keeping you abreast of further developments with regards to the holisticpianoacademy.com. Um, in the meantime, do feel free to drop in and have a look at what we do. Welcome to one of the most provocative episodes we've had till now in Tapasiyaloti. This conversation speaks for itself, but this is me just butting in for a bit to apologize for certain audio issues you might hear. I'm still stranded in the midst of a pandemic and working with a makeshift studio, so uh, I hope the substance in the conversation compensates for it. Without much further ado, let's do this. Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. Welcome. Well, we've been chatting for a while now, which is nice. I don't get to do this very often, have a guest over in person. You probably, uh, you're my third guest who I've had the privilege of actually talking to in person. Where were we at? Let's just continue the vein of our conversation. Mm. Yeah. We were talking about Kolkata, a city we both have common connections in. Mm. And your move to Bombay. Um, Kolkata has been school. School? Yeah. In terms of my music education, like formal musical training, and at the same time, life. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Um, and my move to Bombay was not planned. Like nothing in my life has ever been planned. Uh, it was an impulsive decision. I mean, it, I got a call from a reality show, really. And I never thought I was... You know, you kind of feel like, oh, I don't think I am this person. But you kind of sometimes have to make certain choices which kind of make you that person. So, I think... Huh. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious now. I mean, I feel like I can, I can relate, but I'd like to compare notes. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was working as a professional musician in Calcutta, but I think I wanted more out of my life um as musician as an artist as a woman all of that so i i just randomly got a call from this production house in bombay and they were doing india's first english singing reality show huh. on the stage what was the show called if it was called asked. the stage that was what it was it was gotcha. kind of modeled on like the voice and everything so gotcha um how they hear it very interesting so that's the thing. When things happen, the way they happen is, is, is unbelievable. So I've had just one obscure jazz video on YouTube. I was never really active on YouTube per se. So I did, because I was, I was kind of pursuing jazz with Carlton Quito um, back in the day. So for my listeners who know where Carlton Quito is, one of probably Bogota's first generation of jazz musicians. Yes, really was the first person who helped me build the year for jazz. Hmm. When was that? Let's rewind a bit. When was this? This was in 2010. Yeah. So, so I was pursuing classical music since I was a kid. Indian classical music? Yes, Hindustani. 
uh, classical music. Um, so I was pursuing Khayal, which is the pure classical rag performance. Um, but I was always a very, very curious kid. And, and I had my rock band in school. And <laughs> just because everybody did. And I was pretty good at it, really. So I was always juggling between different things. I think there came a point where I think I was done with the whole um, Celine Dion and Shania Twain and Whitney Houston. And, I'm still not done with them. Yeah. So in the sense, back in the day, I was like, you know, this is great. I, I love listen, listening to them, but I think I wanted more. I even, I used to do Evanescence. Um, <laughs> I used to perform wow. Amy Lee tunes back in school. If I'm interrupted, that, that's actually a common strain in a lot of musicians with roots in the Kolkata. People don't shop genre in Calcutta. It's just as terrible as it sounds. There's you either do Indian music or you do what's called referred to as Western music. Yeah. And it's just all, you know, Ivani Sense and Shanaita. You know, pretty much the same thing. Western music. Pretty yeah. much. Like, which is some kid in Europe or the United States will never be singing too. Yeah. And then that's one that's very. In hindsight, it's something I've learned to be grateful for. But yeah, uh, yeah I had to pitch in there and kind of share yeah, my yeah. thoughts regarding this. So I, I, personally, I think it's pretty cool that you'd sing both. Uh, thank you. I think I was always very interested. So, And I, I guess I, I, I feel very privileged and I'm very grateful that I have the ability to do that. Um, it's a gift. Um, uh, so I was doing that, but there came a point I was, I was done with a certain genre of music very early. I was like, no, I... I I want more. There's something more that I'm I'm looking for. While I was doing classical music, I loved it. Like I would come home and do my riyas and. How do you get into classical music? We I do come from a musical family, but not a family of musicians. Hmm. That's that's big difference, which I realized later. Um, oh, I wanna pitch in on that too. Later yeah, on. yeah. Mm. So it's it's one thing to be born in a family of musicians, and it's one thing to be born in a fam in a family that is musical. Yeah. So being a musician is a very different thing than just somebody who enjoys music and just loves listening to it or just loves singing along. But when you are a full-fledged musician, what that means for when you're growing up is a very, very different ballgame. So there was some struggle there. Would you say that the primary difference is, I'm just you know, thinking out loud here, uh, I, I say this because not to make this about me, but I grew up in a very musical family as well. My granddad mm. um, used to be a sitar player, and in fact, a, a distant relative was what's called a music director, mm -hmm. worked for Bollywood and stuff. But my most of my immediate previous kin, is that a thing, um, were uh, academics and doctors. Mm. So music was always part of my life. But when I decided to be a musician, uh, it was like I was starting with zero. I had no clue yes. how you made a career out of it yes. or yes. a living out of it. Yeah, yeah. So that connection to music was never the problem. Yes, true. Whereas I've had friends who have been born into families who are already in the industry. They start off mm. where I landed after 10 years of work. Yes, true. Exactly. Exactly. Actually, that I think was a huge part of um, the so-called struggle, really, because what happens is the, the understanding of the art is very different. And when as a child, when you're growing up, when you belong to a musician's family, that influence is very different from somebody who is growing up in a musical family. In the sense, there was a lot of pressure, uh, which was not, um, it, it was rather, uh, in hindsight, unnecessary. I think it was more about you have to be the best. I mean, I, I kind of... 
grew up with that headspace and I don't think it served me very well, I'll be honest. But it, it kind of still is there. So it's like I was told, I'm trying to make this as <laughs> politically correct and diplomatic as possible. Don't bother. No one really listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> was, uh, it was worth a shot. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, anyway, the, the point being, I struggled to explain what I needed vis-a-vis what I was given. So it's like when you want to help a creative child, A, they are, they are difficult ones to deal with. I was a very difficult child. Um, maybe not as a baby, but when I was growing up, I was, I, I think I put my folks through some, <laughs> some intense things because um, I was having mood swings all the time and discipline has never been my strong forte at all. So I think I had the maximum amount of conflict in that space. Hmm. And a lot was expected out of me, but I had no guidance. Like, hmm. how do you do this? From Because there's one guidance you get from a teacher, and then there's a guidance that you get from your folks at home. So I did not have that. I had the wrong, I, lack of a better word, wrong. But I, I don't really want to use that term. But I guess they did the best they could. But it did mean that I had to do a, a lot of unlearning later. So today, when I teach my students, my approach is very different. I don't teach the way I learned at all. I think uh, holding space for growth with empathy and kindness is very important. Mm -hmm. And you may think that you are being empathetic and kind, but is it landing on that person? Am I making any sense at all? Absolutely. To me, anyway. I I mean... My story is very similar. I come from a very loving family. Parents who loved me to bits but had questionable parenting skills. And I'm, I'm open about this. It's, it's a yeah. conversation I have with them openly too, which speaks for them. But uh, to be fair, in their defense, the amount of access you have to the kind of knowledge you need mm, to be a good yeah. parent today was not a reality in their age. So. And I think they also didn't know any better. So I, I see that today. Exactly. I think I needed to stay away from the city to start to see them as human, mm. as adults who never really grew up um, or just grew up under very, very difficult circumstances and just didn't get it. I think uh, working on oneself is a privilege. Debatable, but I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah, I guess it's a mental makeup thing also. The older I get, I'm beginning to see their side of the story. And I guess my level of empathy is also growing, but I needed to be a way to be to heal, especially as a musician, as an artist, and of course, as, as a person. Because uh, I think you need to heal as a human also to allow the art to flow. That stereotypical idea of an artist who basically screws up in everyday life, but gets forgiven because he's brilliant or she is brilliant. <sighs> well, I've kind of, yeah, I've seen those two. So. Yeah. But I don't think that's an excuse at all, not anymore. Not anymore, exactly. And also, I think that, that that whole idea of that the genius artist who's so pained is romanticized. Exactly. It's nice to see on, on screens and it's nice to read about it. But It's also worth yeah. taking a look at what that enables, that paradigm. You know, it's, yeah. it's one thing if someone's actually struggling with their um, 
yeah. uh, to cope. And that is a thing I happen to know. But it's another if it's actually been constantly enabled by holding it up as the standard version oh of an artist's life. Yeah, I guess your trauma or your way of being is it can't particularly be an excuse for you to be an asshole. So. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a fine light, right? Because every asshole is an asshole due to trauma. You yeah. Know? Very few are born as I've never met anyone who was born an asshole. Uh, maybe my brother, if he's listening. <laughs> my cousin, no, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, uh, seriously, no one's really born an asshole, and every asshole yeah. is, mm. you know, smells the way he does or she does because of trauma, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think this conversation started somewhere. It kind of and it's going in a whole different direction. Oh, which welcome is to great, my podcast. <laughs> I'm <laughs> loving it. It's fine. It's oh, great. Excellent. Um, <laughs> it's not as unrelated as we think, though, because you refer to your earliest years of training in mm. Indian classical music. Yeah. So my question is, did you even ever even want to train in classical music? Or is it just, was it Very just... Very interesting. I wasn't given a choice. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. How do you feel about it in hindsight now? Are you glad you were not given a choice? Uh, I have to think about it. I am, I, I think, so because I wasn't given a choice. You want some more? Uh, yes, please. Thank you. We're talking about tea people, just in case <laughs> you were wondering. I'm more of a tea person than a coffee person. I only drink coffee to be cool sometimes. Oh. Uh, and also to visit nice cafes. I didn't so. realize drinking coffee makes you cool. I'm like the coolest person <laughs> ever because I have like an IV drip. Stuck to me with no, I know so it. many musicians and people who are just like obsessed with espresso. I'm like, oh, how do you guys drink that shit? But okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very desi like that. I love my tea. It's funny that you say that because India is actually uh, one of the very few, one of the oldest countries for coffee. But oh my it's god, let's true. not start about okay, coffee. Okay, yeah, <laughs> Okay, so um, I wasn't given a choice. Uh, today, I, I it took me a while to realize that. This is also what I was born to do, because there have been times, there have been times where I was like, is this really what I want to do? Because especially during my teenage years, when I was growing up, I was, I was always, I was always tense. Every time I would go to music school, I was always tense. I was a very fearful kid, uh, naive, and just like forever on tenterhooks. Like, Am I going to be told off today? Wow. Or, um, although, to be very honest, I've had amazing teachers who have contributed hugely to me being a musician and the kind of music I do and all of that. But there was always that dichotomy. You know, I loved music. But sometimes it was more like, am I fighting a war or am I, am I doing this for love? Why am I doing this? Oh, yeah, hardly late. It was very tough. But... I guess I was just, I didn't know any other way of being, also. Uh, there came a point when in college uh, I had to make a choice whether uh, should I continue doing music or should I, I mean, sure, do music, but should I also do some kind of a professional course? And I remember there was this huge fight at the dinner table. My dad was like, no, you've got to do either mass media, or, you know, quintessential middle-class Bengali overachieving conversations. Mm. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. But I was like, no, I'm going to study literature and pursue music. So it took me a while to understand that this is what I want to do. And today, I think being away from the city, being away from everything that I grew up with, today I see that this is 
the purpose of my life. This is what I'm supposed to do. And of course, I'm also in a bit of transition right now to discover. Now, I know what I want to do. Now, how I want to use my voice is another different thing to discover. But anyway, that's that's a different conversation altogether. But it's not been an easy journey for me. Learning music was... Ugh, when I think, which is why I'm very, I'm a very, very... I try, I try to be a very kind and nurturing teacher. Mm. To, I, do, I have a handful of students. I started teaching very recently, thanks to the pandemic. And I absolutely love it. Because I'm also, I realize that you can't sing from a space of fear. Mm. You yeah. have to sing from a space of love. Yeah. And that starts with yourself. Yeah. And I think that's the toughest journey to make. How do you begin to love yourself? It's, it's so hard. Because mm. that voice is your, of you're not good enough is so loud. It takes a lot of work to really shut it down. And I don't think it'll ever shut down. But mm. it will, I mean, you have to negotiate with it really. It's like, hey, can I just, let me do my thing. Stay. I'll keep my door open. Mm. You're not welcome here, but I know you're not going to leave. I'm going to do my thing. The door's open. I'm not entertaining you. I'm not giving you tea. Kindly find your way out whenever you're ready. But I'm not giving you attention because I can't. That has been one of the biggest journeys, really. So it has a lot to do with me as a musician, me as a human being, a woman, all of that. All of that. So, wow, I, I don't know where I went with this. But <laughs> yeah, don't worry yeah. about it. So you could say your musical roots are the very earliest core mm. lay in, in the yeah. classical music. Yeah. Is jazz the second uh, door that opened? Mm. So this is something I really love talking about. <laughs> uh, so there came a point where I was also questioning the fact that I was doing classical music. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it, but there was so much garbage on top of that love, really. Mm. Um, Baggage? So I said garbage, but yeah, baggage <laughs> would probably be the right word. To, I, was, I was trying to clarify because there, there is garbage too. <laughs> yeah, know, so I think little, the word is baggage more than garbage. Okay. But uh, there was just so much to navigate. I was always like, ah, I'm never going to be good enough. Um, so when ja- so which is why I realized that doing non-classical music was an escape. Gotcha. And I loved the attention I used to get in school. And I realized I was good at it. And then, of course, jazz happened. And I keep, and I genuinely believe that I didn't pick jazz, jazz picked me. Mm. Again, having said that, so I have also questioned the fact that I'm not really a jazz singer. I just do it because I love it. I simply do it because I love it. And there are people who do it far better than I possibly could. Because I guess... My orientation in, in terms of like spending as much time doing those, doing what you do to be a jazz singer wasn't as much. Classical music was always home. So my riyas would always be doing my, my skills or doing, or, or the skills in, in, in the whole Indian tradition, mm-hmm. pursuing a rag or like exploring that. Yeah. So when jazz happened, when I met Carlton Quito, by sheer accident, he was looking for a jazz singer for his uh, band, and I didn't understand anything. I think a common. What, what's friend, the first song you sang? 
Um, before I get there, okay. um, one of our common friends, he gave me a CD. I think I was, I had, I remember he uh, telling him, hey, can you give me some music to listen to? And he gave me a CD that had cinematic orchestra, that had Radiohead, and that had Sarah Vaughan. Huh, that is a very Vaughan, interesting combination. Yeah. Or was it a separate CD? I don't remember. The first song I heard was Misty. I was like, huh, what is going on? This is very interesting. I don't understand anything. This Because the way... And the way the melody was moving, I was like, what on earth is this? And I'd never heard jazz before that. Wow. It's a good place to start, Saravon. Yeah. So I was just listening to it and I didn't understand anything, but it just kind of, I think my ears loved what, what they heard. And I just started pursuing it. So I, I met Carlton Keto, who was looking for a singer for his band. And initially, he would just give me songs. I was like, okay, these are the songs. You just learn the arrangement. And because I had strong ears, I would just learn the arrangement, like A to Z. Okay, and then they would take their solos. I didn't know how to count cycles. So my jazz training was literally on stage. Nice. Like, it, like everything, like every part of it. I didn't know what it meant to count cycles. I didn't know what it meant to, what A-A-B-A meant. Did anyone take a minute to explain? Oh. <laughs> I mean, AAB is like the form. No, no, no. But did any any of your oh, band members take I mean, a minute to think, explain? Uh, no, I had friends who were doing, who was, who were also pursuing this, and I was just, I was very hungry for more. I was always very hungry, so I would just go like, hey, so what is happening? What's what's going on? But at the same time, I don't think I had the confidence to say I don't know. I had to also kind of be like, oh, I know this. I was, it was a defense uh-huh. of yeah. trying to. I think that that. Miss Know-It-All was, was beautiful defense that I had created for myself. I wouldn't have put you down as a Miss Know-It-All. I used to be one. Like now, I think with age, I'm owning my cutsiness. <laughs> I am owning the fact that I don't know. Yeah, I don't know this. So it took me a while to get to that point. But otherwise, but I would also like, huh, so what's happening now? So, okay, cool, cool. So, and I would kind of like learn that way. But I, I think I'm, I'm glad that eventually I had to do away with the sham because I used to, obviously I would get caught. Are you guys serious? There is a school at all which just says, you know, fake it till you make it. And yeah. personally, I have reservations about this, but... Oh, I faked it for a while. Many of us did. I've probably faked it too without realizing it, you know. Yeah. One way or the other. I mean, what is even faking music anyway? I mean, mm. uh, it's... That's a whole different conversation altogether. I guess I, I, I found a way to fake it uh, authentically, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually kind of do. It, you know what's amazing to me, how universal certain aspects are? Because so many of my experiences, both as a singer and an instrumentalist, are so similar to what you just described. It's <laughs> unfortunately, this era out there of singers being treated like shit on the bandstand especially mm. in the genre of jazz yeah uh, that's just been extremely global and yeah. extremely universal unfortunately mm. i think that's one of the really positive developments that's happened over the in the past decade yeah. that that divisiveness has been reduced mm, possibly because lines are blurring so much yeah. i mean yeah. i think every musician regardless of their instrument is getting more independent mm. but i'm just 
thing. It's it's sad how how certain things are pretty much the same all over the world. I mean, Kolkata or Berlin. Yeah, but you see, I I don't think I would ever disrespect them because you can't disrespect somebody who doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. It's. Um, but they've been very kind, and also I was probably the youngest in the band. So I was also singing with oldies. I don't know, man. I mean, it's. I mean, I. I, I but can I tell see you like, what you mean. I like think I hundred, hundreds of jam later. sessions, like twenty years of jam sessions all through Europe, and you'd go, and it's always the same standards that are being played. And everyone's like, a lot of the times it's been a man's club, and then there'll yeah. be the one singer yeah. at the end of it all who'll be like, "Please, man, just come on stage," and all these. <clears throat> mm. Dudes will be like, okay, let Missy come on, uh, let little Missy come on, you know, let's be nice and give her a mic. And half of the time she won't be looked at and, you know, mm. no one's really giving, sh- they're just waiting for her to sing the mm. AABA so they can start soloing again. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. It's changed, it's changed big mm. time and I'm super, super happy about that. Mm. Obviously, I'm not saying all musicians or all jazz musicians no, are like is, that. No, there is that, uh, that, that jazz singers are looked upon with a certain light when it comes to instrumentalists and i'll be honest there is there is a lot of power dynamic there oh yeah sure I've absolutely experienced it's, that. it's been very much man's world yeah, right? yeah i've it's, experienced that power dynamic oh, yeah, sure, i can imagine yeah. um, um. but uh, <coughs> generally speaking i think that's hopefully anyway the overall approach just towards i'm not just referring to the patriarchal aspect which is yeah. not something i'm qualified to talk about anyway but just the musical, like the singer instrumentalist mm. uh, thing. Hopefully, that's changing. But uh, I hope so too. I hope so too. Yeah. And here's the thing. And while I have seen that dynamic, I saw the dynamic when I when I moved to Bombay, and um, it's true because instrument. And these are all and the kind of musicians I've also played. I've just been super lucky to play with some of the best in the in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew their shit. So sure. Um, That's the saddest part. So think I think yeah. what what helped me because of the fact that I have an Indian music background and it's no longer background. It's it's very much in the foreground. It's like it's it's everything now for me. And in fact, today I've reached a point where I I see the beauty of that, and I I I'm more an Indian classical singer than I am a jazz singer. Mm-hmm. So that I think gave me a very different space. Mm-hmm. Amidst a bunch of knowledgeable jazz musicians, mm. because I'm a very instinctive singer, I, I trust my ears. And in fact, in Bombay, I realized the importance of having that as a very integral part of my identity. Somebody, one of a veteran musician, once told me when I just moved there, she said, "You know, you're very talented. You're here, but remember, there will, there are always going to be people better than you. It's a very competitive city. Whatever you do, find your own voice. Find." what is uniquely yours and pursue that mm-hmm. this is one person i just randomly happened to meet hey how are you how's it going and then they would just give you a nugget like that and i held on to that i think i'm very blessed that i've been able to create that so i guess i was able to navigate that power dynamic slightly better um we talked about this offline earlier on you started your career and i'm doing coat marks here yeah. late yeah. In your late 20s. 27, yeah. To start off with, you seem to have been singing all your life though. So at which point which point do you actually define as the beginning of your career per se? When I was able to pay my bills doing what I do. Oh, sweet. Literally. Yeah, that's, that's actually That's when you can actually say, oh, I have a career. I really respect that definition because... Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> because I was doing music prior to that also, full right. time. 
Right. I don't think I was making enough to have that independent living. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I had a career career. I think I was just struggling yeah. to figure it out. Figure what out exactly? Figure finances. Firstly, mm. because it's important. And um, also who I am as a musician and what is my contribution. And I mean, I'm still discovering that, sure. But I think 27 was a very defining age for me because that was when the whole shift to Bombay happened out of nowhere. So going back, I mean, tying it back to... That. Right. Why did that happen? What was the, the defining point where you said, okay, I'm doing this? Ah, I think I had reached a point, I think it was 2015, I had reached a point where... So I was, I was a full-fledged musician prior to that as well. Um, but I think I was getting exhausted with... Shitty gigs? Yeah. I mean, not that I haven't done shitty gigs post that, but um, lack of movement, really. I was mm. exhausted with the lack of movement. And I was always very aware of the fact. So I remember writing this in my... Uh, I journal a lot. So back in, I, back in back that time, I was constantly writing that it feels like I'm waiting for something and I don't know what it is. Wow, that's a very powerful feeling. Actually. Yeah, I, it just, I just felt like I loved what I was doing, but it was also, um, it's like, you know, you're, you're moving and then you're not moving. And then again, you're moving and then again, you're not moving. So it's, it's just a feeling of stuckness, really. And I didn't know what I could do to resolve that. There were a lot of, you know, emotions involved, uh, relationships involved which kind of um, served me back then but I think I had reached a point that where they were not serving me anymore and uh, I have no hard feelings I mean I learned a lot like I said it was also school for me I learned a lot uh, it also I think that those pre 2015 years held me in good stead when I did move to Bombay so I think what happened was when I did move to Bombay I didn't have rose tinted glasses on. So I was very grounded. You couldn't like shine thing. You, you couldn't lure me with shiny objects, which I think was, I was very grateful for that. Because, mm. um, you know, Bombay is a shiny city. They call it the Maya Nagri. Yeah, <laughs> so, they do? Yeah. Hmm, I didn't know that. Bombay one. is a shiny city. It's a world of, I mean, when you think of Bombay, you think like, ooh, Glamour. Yeah, it's a, it's very interesting for me to. Uh, it's an aspect to the city which I've never really been privy to, and I'm very glad because mm. uh, I think I'm the kind who might have been intimidated by it if I had known mm. of this mm. impression it apparently has on a lot of people. Uh, I have a similar relationship with London as well. Uh, my associations with these larger cities have always been home, really, or just people I've known there or the time mm. I've spent mm. there, and it's as ridiculous as it sounds like when i come here some of my friends from mumbai will ask where are you hanging in kolkata I was like, what are you doing there man i was like <laughs> why i mean just you know chilly yeah. I, and it's it's been very late in life that i realized that what mumbai stands for for yeah. a lot of people yeah. 
what did it stand for you and how how did reality align to it to begin with bombay was never in the plan mm. life my life never worked according to any kind of plan so life has just happened and i just went with it when bombay happened when i got a call from this reality show when they saw that one obscure video of me singing cheek to cheek with carlton keto and mm. i was like and at that point i keep telling this to literally everybody when they say hey how did bombay happen i said you know i was at a point in my life where I was looking to run away from the city and I would have taken anything uh, except splits villa big boss and and one of those like reality shows I I I don't know if your audience would be privy to those things but you can beat that really all of those names basically yeah. a reality show yeah like the not the singing or the dancing reality shows the other ones the other ones yeah gotcha. i would have taken anything except those ones right and somebody and also the very fact that they were doing an english singing reality show was very uh, it was a very exciting opportunity because india didn't have that before right and uh, when i went on that show that was another that was another place that really broke my ego and i'm so glad it did because huh. i was this Hey, I'm a trained Hindustani classical singer. I'm a jazz singer. I don't do pop. You know, I had that headspace. Mm-hmm. Once I went there, I saw people who were so. I mean, so I just got a call randomly, and they said, "Can you come?" I was like, uh, "Cool." I was this close to not going. I was almost going to call them and cancel for a bunch of reasons. But I was like, you know what? Don't. In fact, there were moments where I picked up the phone to dial that producer's number and say, "Hey, I don't think I can make it." I I held the phone in my hand and I. just didn't press dial interesting yeah and i you know these are these moments in life where it they kind of stick with you and then i think i didn't even realize that my life changed overnight i think when i landed in bombay or in the morning and yes i do have the quintessential story of i didn't have any money because there i i was i was getting nothing so mm. I, oh there's something i might as well do it i didn't take it seriously at all i just decided to oh, just pack my bags i'm going to see i think i just need a little break i'm going to go see what the whole deal is they're going to take care of my stay and my travel and all of that anyway so it's going to go and check it out and once i landed there now when i look back i remember i was in the cab from the airport to this hotel wherever we were staying I knew something had changed. Mm, yeah, intimately familiar. Yeah, you know, but you don't know that then. You kind of think about these these little moments in hindsight. I said, "Okay, that was that moment then." Mm. So obviously I was still at the show, I was still planning to come back, but I had friends who were like, you know, what are you going to go back to? Just stay here. And I had a lot of help. So a lot of people here were surprised with the kind of because you know when you think about bombay there there's that these terms called are me to struggler hum which means i am a struggler i don't even know what that means it's like so it's like that romantic bombay struggler to another universal thing actually yeah for a lot of people i think being a failure in a certain kind of city is their idea of success yeah wow that that that's very interesting mm. yeah So a lot of people were like how is she going to do this because there were people who were like oh she's going to come back in 6 months or oh, you wait and watch and all of that happened but i think this is where i think back back when we were talking prior to this we were talking about being seekers mm-hmm. this is where my faith in the universe starts to get stronger mm-hmm. because things just happened i did nothing to make them happen all i decided to do was ishita you're here now you don't have option. you don't have a plan b 
you don't have money but you definitely don't have plan b you're going to make it here no matter what there is no going back you don't go back and i bear in mind i also went there for just i was carrying clothes for like a month wow yeah so i went in june 2015 and i think the next time i came back to calcutta was for a period of 7 days in february 2016 and i was ready to sleep on people's couches thank god i had friends in bombay i was re- i was ready to kind of deal with anything because i i'd seen i'd seen life by then i i seen quite a lot of shit so mm. i was like you know what what what's the worst that can happen but all i had thankfully was some amount of confidence in the fact that i was a trained musician and i also had to build on that confidence because again bombay is a place um especially initially that was my experience of it it's a place that runs completely on face value to a degree hmm. um what kind of face value are you referring to exactly i'm a little hazy hmm name dropping for one right I am wondering how politically correct this podcast is going to be but well, we're kind but of then, past that point honest, by now. So. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh I think to be honest and I've had friends who are very very clear about it and I'm so grateful for that and these friends are they're like family now. I've had so much help in that city. It was unbelievable people don't have that kind of luck or that kind of privilege the, the kind that I did when I decided to do to sleep on people's couches uh, one of my friends mums who is right now my mentor she just called and said oh my house is empty i'm i'm going away for a couple of months why don't you just come and stay here and i hmm. stayed rent free the first 3 months in a fully furnished apartment there was a cook who would come and cook for me um even though i wasn't eating a lot of food because i didn't have money to buy the food so i would just have rice and ghee and dal the occasional dal and boiled eggs but all i knew is this is better than what i it felt better than what you left behind yeah and i hustled i really hustled a lot of people helped me with contacts and i'm grateful that i i was able to take those contacts make those calls and be like just give me a meeting and this is what i would do i would dress up fake some confidence because i was probably like dying inside out of sheer nervousness but i was like no you don't have a choice you got to go do this and i would tell people hey can you just give me 10 minutes all i need is 10 minutes of your time what would you do with those 10 minutes so i was just like i'm just going to sing two songs for you i would sing an indian tune i would sing a western tune just to show my versatility this is what i can do this is what i can do and that really helped me in good stead because people really were thankfully impressed to give me work uh, how many of these pitches were you doing a week on an average well um two three at least because again you're constantly you're making those calls mm. you're adding them on facebook and you kind of you know of abc people you go stalk them on social media and then you see who they are friends with mm-hmm. and then you kind of go do some background check and then you add them and funny thing is i also didn't have much work to show them because people are like hey send me your samples i don't have samples to send because the kind of stuff that i did do back here weren't going to be useful at all so hmm. What kind of, did you have a specific idea on the kind of work you were looking for? I was just aiming to pay bills first. And what's the kind of work that does that the best? Advertising. Gotcha. Think the jingles. And I still do that. They, they still pay my bills. Thank God for that. And I was very clear in my head that I want to do my own music. 
for some reason i know like playback singing was i i, I was never really um, i'm not like i said i'm not a verse to it at all but uh, there are some amazing composers that i i still want to work with but i knew that i needed to create an identity of my own through my own music now what that is what that i had a basic idea of what i wanted to do mm-hmm. but i needed some time till i got to that point so that i could meet the musicians the relevant people build a certain credibility i was focused on that and very interestingly because uh, i had the kind of background i did and because i worked with carlton keto i met louis banks right and um, that was the other thing i was also meeting people by going to gigs mm-hmm. i would constantly go to these gigs and gigs is basically where you end up meeting musicians and introducing yourself and uh, I didn't have money to buy a drink so I would just get a glass of water and pretend that I was drinking something <laughs> so I did all of that but I think I was just, I was good at talking so whatever little I had I just made full use of it and and Mr Banks was very very gracious and when I told him I used to work with Carlton Keto and he said come see me and so immediately because I was able to kind of impress upon Mr Banks that this is what i can do it also created a certain it gave me a certain credibility mm-hmm. and uh, and i think things just started flowing so i was able to name drop better if you know what i mean absolutely <laughs> yeah references yeah i mean it's interesting uh, at this phase of my life we're in a we're branching out diversifying mm-hmm. big time to a right. point um, i think of myself more as a creative entrepreneur than a musician per se i think that's where things are headed anyway mm, right. so it's interesting uh, if if you do the research on what basic business skills are if you don't know better you're calling name dropping but really what you're looking for is a portfolio of references and there's absolutely nothing to be uh, ashamed about and and it really helped me i'll be honest because but like if i guess i just i was lucky that there was something that was just taking care of me you know throughout that whole journey and within the first 3 months i i was playing like two huge gigs i I was playing with Vishal Dadlani and Vishal Shekhar for N87 and I was headlining with them and I was one of the headlining singers and you don't get that in three months of being in Bombay. Mm-hmm. Um, I sang for a big film and things happened for me and which was... Within months of moving. Within there. months of moving to Bombay. So I That's guess, amazing. you know, the, like we, you are working, you, you are, you, you're functioning at a particular dimension and time cycle but there are other time cycles taking place at a different dimension and you don't know how that is going to impact your life and your present moment in nonlinear movement yeah and i'm very very grateful for those those moments and bombay is also a great level of it's a great place to understand humility what it means to be humble what it means to uh, hustle for what you need mm. hang on i'm confused now what it means to be humble and what it means to hustle for what you need i'm curious oh. as to why you put those two in the same line now why why did i say that so for me it it like i said it made me humble because i came with a lot of preconceived notions i can't think this city does that by what, what kind of Calcutta. notions i'm curious what good and bad uh, what music is good and what music isn't mm. uh judgmental sides of things artistic uh, integrity artist oh every time i would hear that i'm like hey man i need to pay rent fuck your artistic integrity right now excuse me i'm sorry <laughs> no okay I, i hear you because it's important i mean you can only 
it's important artistic integrity is a very very important thing but you also have to eat yeah and uh, what i also realized in bombay that no work is small or big mm. you, you can function from a space of your artistic integrity even in a jingle right because it's a privilege to get that opportunity so you don't mess it up you do your job all you have to do is just do your job it doesn't matter how oh this is not a good song oh this is not a this is a shitty song i'm not cut out for this i don't want to do this no just do your job till you reach a point where you come to a space where you can make that choice so the idea of choice is a privilege also right could we talk about this okay cuz i'm not sure i agree with you okay i think i agree with your sentiment Hmm. I want to hear your perspective. I just don't think it's as black and white. I think there's a system out there which is very good at making artists feel like it's a privilege to land a certain job. And while I'm not going to say the system's fucked, mm-hmm. because I think the system tends to get fucked when participants enable it in the first place. Mm. Okay. Here's the thing. In my experience, the artists who display the kind of integrity I admire. are not the ones who are going to judge or look down upon someone who lands a job they need to do oh. they're the last people who will judge someone for doing what needs to be done mm. the ones who keep justifying an entire body of work based only on questionable art are usually the ones who are wailing on about how i tend to notice a pattern of victimhood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think somewhere in the middle <coughs> lies a path Yeah, I think what I was talking about mostly is when you J- just to clarify, I wasn't Sorry. I wasn't implying you were implying no, no. that. Uh I think what I meant was choice as a privilege is when I have to put food on my table, do I have a choice to refuse a certain kind of work? It that's a very I think that's a very loaded um question. Also. It's a very loaded question. And I'd yeah. be lying if I said I have an answer to that. Yeah. All I know yeah. is choice being a privilege because today i have that choice you know the thing is i'm just i'm so lucky and grateful that today i am able to be at a point where i can exercise that choice sure again I, this is I'm, i it may sound like i'm making blanket statements here but everything no, has its own nuance everything comes with subjectivity and nuance Absolutely. and all of that There have been times where I was called to sing misogynist tunes. Okay, mm, I'm sure. Yeah. So when I started, thank God uh, that song didn't see the light of day. <laughs> but uh, um, but when I started, I did not have the choice or the power to say no. I did not have that. Today I do. Today, if there is um, somebody who's giving me a misogynist tune, and, and that's just one aspect of thing. be like you know what i don't think i'm comfortable with this mm-hmm. but i've had to work hard to build that space for myself and it is true that it takes a lot of work to find that center find that space of alignment mm-hmm. um in fact i was having a very interesting conversation with somebody who said you know especially in a place like bombay um i mean anywhere power is a very tricky space to be in so it's like when you're given a lot of money or something you did and that song kind of blows up your demand kind of increases and you are constantly having to cater to that kind of music maybe and then you reach a point where you are unable to say no because then you have obligations to keep and then you have to make keep make people happy so it's a, it's a it's a very nuanced space of things so 
probably so i guess it really does boil down to my individual agency bingo and i don't agree with uh, that sentence your choice is a privilege not because you say it but generally the, the sentence in itself i don't think it's untrue either i just probably would tend to look at it from the other side in which freedom is not something that should be taken for granted mm. but i think my question <clears throat> while i hear you I think what it boils down to is what does one do when one has to put food on their table you know how where where is because it's not just as an artist even in terms of like so in in the society in terms of class division and caste division and all of that exactly. a whole different yeah I've had similar conversations but I've also noticed connotations the word privilege carries for mm, me mm. my psyche is tuned into a more european mm. uh, western Mm. I struggle with the idea of having food on the table being a privilege. It is a privilege, isn't it? Especially in a place like India. It has been established as one, but I struggle to <laughs> accept it as one. I don't okay. agree with the terminology. Mm. Food on the table should not be a privilege. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Again, I, again, now, again, like I said, I yeah, see now what I'm you shooting, mean. Now I'm shooting upon yeah, this conversation. Yeah, I see what you mean, but that is also... that is a privileged space to come from <laughs> regardless of where i'm coming from i think a world where food on the table is a privilege is is a very fucked up paradigm but it it is what it is isn't it that is a different idea altogether but i wasn't the truth, no no it's true but i'm saying the truth of the matter is really is what especially in a place like india and in fact let's try and clarify i'm not saying that food being on the table as a done thing mm. is not a reality mm-hmm. i'm not denying that ha ah. but referring to that as a privilege yeah. is something i don't agree with someone having that's, f- a, that's a right that's a basic human right well that's almost I mean, like I the guess, other uh, okay you mm. know human beings were not born to go without food that's so it's a word Different privilege law. i'm very like yeah okay i i i feel you we'll probably need to sit with that word a little bit more I'm, yeah. i'm open to a dialogue for sure because a world where people are letting themselves be convinced of something that basic mm. looked upon as a privilege is risky mm. Mm. it enables a certain a system which feeds off it and it's not denial of the way things are mm. yeah no i i i feel i'm just i'm just trying to hold these perspectives in the same container. Ah, yeah. I know it's it's a terminology I struggle with. <clears throat> And it's interesting when you say India, it's also the same country where people get Porsches for their 18th birthday. It's the same country. What? So how does that one word apply to both? That doesn't make any sense to me. Because that is privilege. Getting a Porsche for your birthday, 18th birthday is, is a privilege. That I I can deal with. I think um I think it's that understanding of that word from one's personal journey could be i don't know i i don't think i can yeah just some i i think it's it's something to think about right now yeah, yeah. for me too i'll be honest for me too yeah i hear you but in case i hadn't made that clear i have no uh, illusions of having figured it out i'm just thinking out loud no no that's totally 
This is a conversation anyway. We are also kind of unfortunately functioning in that system. And um, I guess it's a journey to find our way through it in, in a way that I reach a point where I'm not having to cater to the system anymore. So, right. Oh. So circling back to that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Okay. Well, we yeah. went off on the tangent there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> by the way. This podcast is going to be a tough one to edit out. Right. So you did what you had to do to pay rent. Yeah. And the thing is... Uh, what was your first break? Break, break. Break, break. <sighs> Film song. And how did it feel? How did you land the gig? How did it feel? I, I landed the gig... Uh, I was on the show and Vishal Dadlani was one of the judges on the show. And I think I met him later, post the show to say, hey, I also do other music, which is I do Indian music as well, because I was only doing Western music. And and the stage really schooled me in terms of good music and bad music and right music and wrong music, whatever the fuck that meant in my head back then. Mm-hmm. And there were people who were like 18, 19, 20, who were just like, killing it and here I was struggling with all my experience I think I survived well and after that I did meet Vishal Adlani later and he was very gracious and he told me to kind of sing a scratch for this particular tune it was a big Bollywood blockbuster for film and I was like yeah sure I think I also enjoy donning different hats Mm. Um, it keeps things fresh it's also like acting a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kind of get into the skin of a certain kind of sound, mm-hmm. a certain kind of vibe. And uh, yeah, and, and I think uh, that happened for this big film. And that was a break for sure. Which was the name of the film? <laughs> it was called Sultan. It was a Salman Khan film. Nice. Uh, yeah. My sister-in-law is a huge fan. Okay. <laughs> um, but I could have, I'll be honest, I could have pursued that and and I also, I, I was never really great at marketing part of things. I was never really great at, hey, check out what I did. I'm like, oh, I did my thing, I'm done. For me, it's just doing the music and I'm done. But clearly, I realized how important it is to market yourself and really talk about, look, this is what I've done. And uh, I struggle with that. I still struggle with that. And back when that song happened, I, I wasn't on Instagram. I didn't know what you do with Instagram. Wow. Um, what year was this? This was 2015. Ah. Pretty late, yeah. Respect. <laughs> so I didn't know what you do with Instagram. Um, so I, I didn't really push it, push it. I could have, so probably anybody else in my position would, would have really used that opportunity and gone places. And I guess by this time, I could have Porsche for myself, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, now I'm actually going back to your question, was it really a break break? It was a big opportunity for sure. It was a big opportunity. Um, How did it feel like when you got there, when you knew you got the gig? What if, what's the first emotion that hit you? So how it works at Mumbai is, especially for film songs, you are, they try multiple voices. Right. So they tried multiple voices of, and, and uh, you only know your song is, your voice is on the film when the film releases or when you get a call from the production house saying, wow. hey, would you send us an invoice? <laughs> so I didn't hear from them for months, but I kind of instinctively knew months? I had nailed it when I did the scratch. How many months though? I did the scratch in November 2015. <laughs> I think the film came out in February or March 2016. Mm. And I had no clue. And I was like, what do I do? But I also learned by then, you know what? You just do your thing. It's done. Forget about it. Whatever mm. has to 
to happen. Has to happen. So once the song came out, I think I remember I was at my friend's house and I just scrolling through my phone and I think uh, one of the composers like Vishal Shekhar, Shekhar I think shared the whole jukebox of the film and oh I see it in my song and the whole album opens with my voice. Sweet. Like, huh. Cool. Cool. That was exactly my reaction. And then my friend's dad was That's there. a very grounded reaction. Yeah. I wasn't really jumping with joy. Um I think it is a if to be able to le- I think one has to learn how to celebrate oneself. I learned and I'm still learning how to celebrate myself and my achievements. I never took them seriously. Mm. Um I just did my thing. Huh, it's a cool. So I just told my friend, "So, you know, this happened." Oh. You want tea? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> that was it. That was really what it was. But I and I remember going I was kind of going home and I was feeling, "Huh, I should be happy about this. What does that feel like?" <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I think I struggled to but I remember the moment when they had called me. So, I knew that the song was coming out maybe a month ago. And of course, I had I didn't receive any phone call from them till a month before the release and they called and they said, "So, you know, ma'am, we've kept so and x amount of money as uh, you know, for you for the song. Hope that's all right." It was at that time it was quite a lot of money for me. I was like, uh, yeah, sure, cool, yeah, okay, I think that's fine. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, this oh is my probably god. the first time I regret this podcast being audio only because I so want, would like my listeners to see the expressions <laughs> going on through, going through your face. Uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then once I hung up, I was like, yes, two months rent. That's all you think about that time. So, and I remember the feeling of. going to yashraj films and bad mind yashraj is one of the biggest production houses mm. in india and they've made some of the biggest films down the yeah. decades really yeah, yeah. and when you're walking into that studio and recorded in that studio and mm. when you're walking into that building there's a feeling like okay i am here huh mm. ishita good on you that that's the maximum i do really for myself hey good good job girl that's it yeah. so i remember walking out with this big red envelope with the contract and a red envelope huh yeah it's a big red envelope with the yrf logo on it and 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 of course when when they met me in the office ma'am you can see the contract it's like yeah as if i wasn't going to sign it as if i was i definitely i pretended to read through it <laughs> and then i'm like hey, bro you don't have a choice just fucking sign it and get done with it i was like okay cool but i did pretend to kind of peruse the contract a little bit <laughs> but wow mm-hmm. i have literally no filter on this podcast <laughs> like the, all the cool quotient is out right now so I, i think that's as cool as it gets to be honest yeah i think i i celebrate those little moments mm-hmm. i think those are little milestones so i've also learned to sell uh, to kind of acknowledge the little moments i think the little moments is where everything is that it's never about that big moment amen yeah i mean and to the, to the degree that the first time i bought a bed for myself <laughs> yeah and i was like wow i have a bed yes oh my god i'm so happy i bought a, i made a mattress for myself first time it's my own mattress wow well, you made a mattress no i mean in the sense uh, i got okay, it made okay, but i mean so i celebrate those things I love those small moments. It's like it's never about the big ones. Beautifully put. Yeah. Yeah, and I I can 
very well relate to that especially after 2020 i think it's it's when you don't have access to those constant flow to mm. that constant flow of the little moments where you realize exactly what they were at them yeah you hinted at a topic i would mm. very carefully like to get at and um, it's edgy ground for me as a man mm. i wouldn't want to waste the opportunity to touch upon the topic a woman in the music industry mm. and in india what's that been like it's interesting um and also that's the most generous objective i've ever heard from yeah but, uh, no i am also um i think it's different for different women um mm-hmm. thankfully i have not been i've not been giving given am, am i using this term right uh, unsolicited uh, no i'm not using this term right uh, i have not i think by and large i've received a lot of respect Mm-hmm. it may also have something to do with the way i carry myself mm-hmm. in the sense that and and it's not a judgment on other women it's more because it's more like i would walk around with a certain don't mess with me mm-hmm. kind of wall uh and turn people into bros a tad aggressive in terms of the body language uh, I, maybe aggressive is not the right word I think I I would give out a vibe of don't mess with me. Like I said when I say this I this is definitely not a judgment on other women at all by by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh it's just I've realized that it was a huge defense uh mechanism for me and for a lot of women. I'm trying to understand how to answer that question. Yes, I feel that I've had I've had the when you've been paid less simply because you're a girl. In fact, I was told, I was told, hey, I thought I was going to get paid so much, but I got paid this. And, oh, that's for the boys, Baba. That's for the boys, huh? That's for the boys. Whereas my contribution was no less than the boys. Uh, in fact, I had a very distinct con- contribution to the whole sound of whatever it is that was being sold at that time. Um, <clears throat> so I've had that experience. Uh, but i think like i said uh, it's difficult for me to pinpoint anything specific simply because it is so ingrained in us in the way we are constantly walking around with boxing gloves on mm-hmm. in different ways that we do it that uh, you don't know what it's like to not have boxing gloves mm-hmm. does that make sense absolutely yeah So because I had of course there were people who was like hey I want to take you out on a drive and hey we want to meet me for a drink I've had those but I've also learned how to navigate them very nicely I think I'm good at that I'm like hey but you know how oh, yeah I can't make it I'm so sorry I've done all that So I guess we kind of I think each and every woman out there is devising her own way of navigating a world which is infested by bros and i i use that term very consciously cuz that all hey bro hey dude and there've been times when you also and i've done it i i've had to be the bro to fit in because as the only girl in a band for example mm. i've had to put up with sexist jokes maybe not towards me but objectifying other women around me or and i'll be honest i'm very embarrassed about it uh i've been privy to that too just to fit in mm. uh so it's like 
I want to be one of the bros. So if I am one of the bros, then they would not look at me through those lenses of, I might want to take advantage of this person or whatever that means for whoever. Yeah. Uh, it is, like I said, it's been interesting navigating that because it's so, we're so conditioned to move around in a certain way that you don't know what it's like to not have that. Like I said, the whole boxing club analogy. Uh, so I'm learning. But again, by and large, people have been very respectful towards me. I think I've learned how to draw my boundaries. Um, oh, still learning, really. Yeah. It is mostly uh, a man's world. One has to be very, very careful. You have to, you have to always think 10 times. Yeah. In the stuff I have to wear, stuff I am saying yeah but to be honest i think that is changing for me now like i refuse to kind of cave mm. yeah does that answer your question at all very much so. yeah because again i've been lucky to not have experiences of molestation in the industry per se it's so weird i have to say that i've been lucky to not have <laughs> those experiences it's, it's a really weird thing to say it's as weird as saying i'm lucky to have food on my table maybe yeah i guess but yeah again i have to agree by and large i people have dealt with me with a lot of respect yeah and i'm very grateful for that i will be honest i've also been one of the few people who's uh, who's not received un, who's not received questionable posts on instagram or DMs, questionable DMs on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So DM slides. Yeah, but I guess it's. I'm wondering if that's. It's so. It, 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 it's. I guess it also has to do in the way of me. Um, just thinking out loud here. Take your time. Not owning. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I guess my femininity for a long time. I. I. I kind of didn't. Let it out. Does do you understand what I'm saying? Um, I, I I want to be careful saying I understand because I'm I'm cautious with this. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm also very very. I'm thinking what is what to say here. No, I would I would like to think I'm ca catching on to what you're saying. I think mm. you you what you're referring to is you might have repressed your feminine mm. energy mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to a degree, or yeah. were forced to repress your feminine yeah. energy. Yeah. Uh, as a defense mechanism. Yes. Largely. Which I think is really, really sad. Yeah. Largely. Um, and. Yeah, that's as far as I'm going to say, because yeah. you know, that b between that and mansplaining is a very, very mm -hmm. blurry line. So yeah. gonna, which I really don't want to cross. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm, I'm very conscious of all these little dynamics now as, as much as I really can. But sometimes. It's so normal that you miss it. It's mm. so normal to be cautious mm. of how you're presenting yourself being a woman. So it's a lot of inner work also. So for those, those of, I almost said us, but I can't really say that. For, in your opinion, what's your word of advice who want to hang up the boxing gloves? What do we do with those boxing gloves? Own your power. 
and we won't need those boxing gloves. Really work towards owning your power. Because power is a very scary thing. For women, we're not, we're not, we're not used to having power, right? Because we were used to our power being taken away the moment you turn, the moment you're born a girl, really. Even while we worship 30 million different goddesses. Yeah. So even right from the moment you're born, you're forever cautious. Mm. So we're not, we, we don't remain children for a very long time. Mm. I think the only thing I'd like to say is uh, do what you need to do. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't want to live like that. I refuse to live like that. Maybe that also means uh, you'll be uh, upsetting the apple cart. Fuck it. I'd much rather upset the apple cart. Yeah, they sound like bad apples anyway. Yeah. A lifetime to work through these conditionings. Because as women, we just... We const- I mean, we're constantly dealing with guilt and shame. It comes so naturally to us. Just because mm. obviously it does. Because we've been, that's what's been fed to us. So it takes a lot to be a badass woman. It's not easy. Exactly. I'm here to spread love. Mm. I want to spread love. I don't want to have to wear boxing gloves. And I, and I guess the, the thing about being an empath is also you see why the other person does what they do. Oh, yeah. And it's a tricky one to navigate, huh? because then you kind of lose yourself in the process. I think I was talking about my mentor, and thanks to my mentor, she really helps us, helps me, a bunch of us to understand what that means, to hold different perspectives together, to hold different realities together. I think it's rambling. Not at all. <laughs> Doesn't sound like rambling at all. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of unpacking. You're not just unpacking for yourself. You're unpacking generations of Very well said. You're unpacking all the things that your mother, your grandmother, your aunt. Lineage. The lineage went through. I mean, to a degree, it is my responsibility to end the cycle here with me Mm. before I take it forward. So that's what I think I'm, I'm learning what it means to unpack that conditioning. And, you know, it's very easy for us to say dismantle the patriarchy. It's a buzzword for sure. Mm. But there is a lot of patriarchy inside of me. I need to dismantle that first also while I'm also doing it outside. Mm. So, yeah, I'll just keep going and on and on. So, yeah, just yeah, feel free to. Yeah. Could we talk a little about the tools and instruments you and your mentor use for uh, this unpacking? Um, that's a difficult one to answer. So I'm very lucky to be part of a community of a, a group of very powerful women. Mm-hmm. And I think where her role in my life is, is to is for each of us to see that power in us, what it means to operate from that space of power. And of course, that is there's a huge spiritual, I guess, lack of a better word, tool. Mm-hmm. We're all a bunch of seekers. She helps us to work on ourselves, to work on our conditioning, to work on our traumas, and what it means to fully come in alignment with who you are. Mm-hmm. Each one of us, men and women, we're such powerful beings, we don't even know what, what that's like. So mm-hmm. can I operate from that space? Can I not be scared to operate from that space? Mm-hmm. Um, very well said yeah because we're really scared of our own powers right yeah that relationship with the part of you which is scared to operate from that space Mm. what's your approach with it practice 
just practice gotcha. being in your body, not be disconnected from your body, and just. Very, I'm very happy to say that that because mm. that's that's one part. A lot of spiritual communities will detach. Mm. People tend to associate spirituality with detachment from the body per se mm. by default. <clears throat> I want to still want to ask this. I'll ask again. That part of you which has fear, because in my experience, I'll, I'll usually notice uh, two specific approaches to it. The one will just shun the one who's scared. The other will try to heal and integrate. The latter. You can't shun. What you resist will persist. Nice. We can never stop being scared. Mm. Or we can't, you can't stop being fearful. I guess you just have to work in spite of fear. Mm. Like it's the same conversation. I was like, hey, I feel fear. You're welcome to my house, but no thanks. But you're not welcome. But you're here. What do I do with you? Mm. Um, so it's a lot of negotiation, really. It's a lot of constant negotiation. With I think that is where having a spiritual core helps. Mm. Uh, it just really helps to hold, have an anchor. Mm-hmm. I, I speak for myself. I know a lot of people who do this without that also. But I speak for myself. Guidance. Yeah. But like you said, healing and integrating it. Because you can't shun your shadows, really. You can't, you can't exist without your shadows. Yeah, I see a very, la- a very prevalent pattern of spiritual bypassing of late. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, whole, the whole positive thinking, law of attraction thing. It's, it's backfired in a manner. And it's also a very unconscious act. That's the trickiest yeah. part. Sometimes I feel like even when I do have an affirmation, for example, that could also turn into a bit of a... Right. It's also interesting to notice how a country like India, with its history of spiritual mm. approaches or modalities, how it embraces second-hand versions of the saying coming from the West sometimes. I'm being a little harsh in the way I said it. Uh, come again? Embraces second-hand versions of their own traditions from the West. I mean, all the West kind of taking it from us and just like marketing it in, in a way, yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, the core messages of all of these are universal anyway. Yeah. But it's very interesting to see how uh, something like the law of attraction, for example, the way mm. it's taken over uh, over a generation. Yeah. It's, it's been mentioned in the earlier scriptures and the whole, anyway, and in a much healthier manner as part mm. of a larger mm. system. I feel like in the West, what they do is they pick a part of something without context and then they sell it and make it marketable and accessible and then wait there there's a whole context to things yeah where's the best place to find you and what's the best place to support your art i'm still exploring the best way to find me is instagram and facebook and youtube and the usual places it's a journey i've kind of found a middle ground of working with two modalities of jazz and classical music but um, I'm also looking to reach a point where I go beyond labels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that process right now, exploration of where it doesn't matter what genre I am doing, but Indian music will forever be home mm-hmm. and a huge part of who I am. Uh, I think as I grow older and the more work I do on myself, the more I clean up, I think I, I begin to see why I loved Hindustani music in the first place, even though it came with its own baggage. So mm-hmm. I think I needed to go into jazz to kind of just feel safe again with music. And not that I ever left classical music, but at a live space, finally found the confidence to, okay, I can do this again. Mm. I was never really a full-fledged jazz singer. I was always an Indian musician. That line you constantly dance between. How do you feel about the label Contemporary Indian Singer? How does that work for I think, you? I think, I think 
think I would prefer that over classical singer or jazz singer. So every time somebody calls me a jazz singer, I do feel, like I said, I do sing jazz and I love it. And it's part of my set too. And in fact, my whole sound right now, currently what I am doing at this point of my life is, I have a jazz band, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so-called jazz fusion band, again, air quotes here. And I don't particularly enjoy labels. I, I don't like to be put in a box because I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. And I, I like that uh, sense of excitement. I like that sense of adventure because I've been collaborating with different kinds of artists. I've been collaborating with electronic music producers, jazz musicians, just pop musicians and composers for films and OTT and all of that. So What's your writing process? Uh, my writing process is heavily influenced by Indian skills or or rag system, mm-hmm. but I also think is I also write in English. But I'm trying to change that now. I want to write more in regional languages. Mm-hmm. I can't. I I can't really write songs in Bangla. I can write this language, but I can't. What's your first that. language? Bangla. I'm a Bengali, but uh, English is a more comfortable language of expression. But I I think I I would prefer to maybe explore Hindi and and I I've been trying to dabble writing in in a more regional language now like mm-hmm. Hindi for example and I also have amazing friends writer friends and so while I was doing Indian music and there was jazz and I just didn't want to have to choose I was like I can't do it it's like I'm in love with two people at the same time maybe they're not two different people there you go so that's the whole journey right now to kind of find a way to mix them together in a pot um, well i'm staying away from the word fusion and we'll see where it goes so i generally so when i'm actually working on a particular uh, song with the band or with my pianist or whoever there are many different kind of influences that would come like i would i'm singing a tumri but i would be like can we add a certain sound you know my reference would be brad meldow so, so I'm also, I'm not particularly looking at the whole song. So I'm thinking of when I'm referring to them, I'm referring to a particular sound that I'm relating to when mm-hmm. I hear mm-hmm. so many different artists. So I hear a lot of music. I'm always listening to stuff all the time. So kind of when I'm actually making music, it kind of finds its way to way into its container. But uh, I don't know if I've figured it out yet. Obviously, I haven't clearly. So now <laughs> what I'm working towards is a heart connect more than the mind connect. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's a huge journey. Word. Uh, yeah, because I, I think that's also a very tricky space when it comes to classical musicians and jazz musicians because you know so much. You know, you've spent years building a skill, but where is the heart? Mm. Which is also why my mentor really encouraged me to learn Kirtans, Bangla Kirtans. Mm. And because it's all about bhav, Bhav is feeling. Yeah. I mean, again, you can't really translate that word. Yeah, I, I love word the word different. though. The, the, the bhav, some people call it dorod or third. Yeah. Blues musicians call it the blues. You know, you either have the blues or you don't. So, this is where words meet. Exactly. So, I think in my soul, I'm a jazz musician in my soul. Mm. 
you know what i'm saying in, and not in terms of not not from the technical point point of view exactly from jazz from a more yeah. life point of view yeah. my life is jazz really you're improvising all the time yeah pretty much actually i mean the, the connotations that word comes with in this dna are just so heavy yeah. oh jesus i mean there's someone who's, who's fucking studied that in in academic circles for over almost 10 years now yeah it is that's probably one of the reasons i kind of separated myself from that word mm, yes i'm i'm getting there i think i'm i'm slowly inching towards that place really? doing away with like well, labels well i dedicated like six years of my life to becoming a what i thought was a full time jazz musician when i said that jesus you know i don't want to be part of this mess because uh, again another bastardized film right and when i say mess i'm not referring to jazz but the people who think they represent it well a lot of people who think they represent it it's more it's it's, it's more it's it's a way of being more than kind of music that you do so i mean so, so, some of my favorite a couple of my favorite musicians uh, ever jazz musicians ever have also been on this podcast which is pretty fucking amazing um but it's just i think a lot of the in my experience the real jazz musicians have stepped out of that label yes. for a oh while oh my god now. yes absolutely it's a little comparable to religion really yeah at absolutely. some point the bigger it grows the more it derails i think i like what i just said i have the soul of a jazz musician but and and i i i sing classical music hindustani classical music sounds like a decent enough note to taper off on yeah <laughs> And we went to like so many different spaces. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm really For my audiences you you've you're in the middle of rehearsals and your first gig in Calcutta in like 6 years. So uh, my respect for coming out. Thank you. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Likewise. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love, talk soon. Just another voice out here.